Welcome to Prodigal Church. Uh, we're getting the hang of this online service. I, I hope you guys are as well. Um, this week we posted a video where I said this, that, that you're home but not alone. And we really believe that that is true. I read this week that in February 2001, Adam Bertel, a 20-year-old student from the University of Washington, put his soul up for auction on eBay. Okay? Uh, and the ad read, hardly used. I make no warranties as to the condition of my soul, as now it is near mint condition with only minor scratches. Due to difficulties involved with removing my soul, he wasn't dead yet, the, winner bit, the winning bidder will either have to settle for a night of yummy Thai food and cool indie flicks or wait until my natural death. The bidding started at a nickel. Then his ex-girlfriend logged in and she bid it up to $6.66. 666, the mark of the beast, okay? And in the final hour of bidding, the price rose from $56 all the way to $400, and it was placed by a person living in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, when I first read this, I was like uh, feeling sorry for the guy who sold his soul on eBay, but as I think about it, how lonely you must be to, you know, to be surrounded by cornfields in Des Moines, Iowa to pay $400 for somebody's soul. I mean, you don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. Okay, no joke, I know the guy in that commercial, okay? He's a good friend of mine. We were roommates after college. He's not a farmer, uh, but it's a catchy jingle, and it's kind of fitting uh, for how the church should be. I mean, you don't have to be lonely at prodigalchurchfresno.com. What if church, at the very least, was a place where people don't feel alone, where people are invited? And even now, in this situation, we're home, but not alone. God is with you. In your house, surrounding your house, you're not alone, and the church is here too, and let us know how we can help. See, we as a church have been blown away by so many of you offering, emailing us, calling us, texting us, letting us know that you're willing to go help buy people groceries, to travel, to travel and get some uh, supplies for people, and uh, you guys are amazing. Some of you volunteered at a food pantry this last Saturday. You're willing to help wherever. That is beautiful. Lots of people have let us know that you want to help. But there haven't been as many of you who have told us that you have needs. And so we've got all these servants with nowhere to serve. And so if you have needs, my encouragement for you to be to drop your pride, send us an email. It's on our website. Uh, and we want to be able to help meet those needs. If you're going through something, if you know someone who needs help, let us know and we'll work hard to meet those needs. You're home, but not alone. Last week, Pastor Brad kicked off our sermon series with just one verse, and here it is, Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And Brad shared how from this point forward, Jesus was heading somewhere. He was resolved to get to Jerusalem. And he wasn't resolved just to get to Jerusalem, but to die in Jerusalem and to rise in Jerusalem. More on that next week. This morning, we're going to take a look at some of the deliberate detours that Jesus had on his journey towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. Because it says a lot about Jesus that when he is resolute in heading someplace in one specific direction, 
that he still makes stops along the way. He still pauses to teach his disciples. He still tells stories. In fact, two of the greatest stories ever told were told on his journey to Jerusalem. The parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son. And in this series, Road Less Traveled, we are following Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And take a look at our map here. Our journey starts on the north side of the Sea of Galilee in a village called Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing village, and if you were an ancient Hebrew, you would know that just by the name. The name itself means house of fishing. And so Jesus is in Bethsaida when Luke writes our theme verse, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he is way up here in the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and this means he's got a long ways to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not a hop, skip, and a jump away. Okay? He couldn't Uber. He couldn't take the train. There was no buses available. He had to walk. This was going to be a journey. There was going to be some adversity. There was going to be some steep hills, and there was going to be some deep valleys, but he was resolved to get there. So from the, on, from the onset, we learn that this is a long road. And for many of us, we are two weeks into something that's going to be a long road. We're two weeks into this quarantine thing, and it's going to be a long road. At first, some of us are like, yes, staycation. I get to catch up on all of my shows. But now we're two weeks in. We've watched everything on Netflix, and everything we see while we're scrolling Facebook and Instagram are just memes about the coronavirus. And I'm counting the exact squares I have left on each roll of toilet paper in our house. And home-cooked meals were great the first two weeks, but now I'm kind of tired of eating every single meal at my house surrounded by my children. Plus, the other adult that I'm living with also begins to annoy me a little bit. You can say amen. That's all right. We're like Jesus, making his way to Jerusalem. We've got a long road ahead of us. There will be some adversity. There will be some steep hills and some deep valleys, but we are our home, but not alone. And Jesus is with us on this journey. So he leaves Bethsaida, and we read this in chapter 13. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He didn't take a shortcut. He stopped in every town and village because people mattered. If Jesus went to Target, okay, he wouldn't hide from the people that he knows. You guys know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to Target and you saw someone you used to know? You saw someone that you went to, to school with and then you hid in the cereal aisle? Shame on you. Shame on you. You hid behind a box of honey bunches of oats because you didn't want to run into Carol from algebra back in eighth grade. Okay? Shame on you. Jesus wouldn't do that. He takes these deliberate detours to love on people on his way to Jerusalem. And he keeps moving. Chapter 17, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Let's go back to our maps. You see that Jesus is traveling on the border between Samaria and Galilee. And this, in and of itself, is a very scandalous statement. It's like saying that Jesus is walking in between Republicans and Democrats. Jesus is walking between Israelis and Palestinians. Jesus is walking between liberals and conservatives. See, Samaritans and the Jewish people weren't even supposed to talk to each other. Both saw the, what's worst in the other, 
And Jesus here is right on the border. See, he refuses to be pinned down in either territory. He's always resisting being put on teams. So he's heading to Jerusalem. He's walking along the border of these two countries that hate each other. And check out what happens next. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, we planned this teaching a long time ago, long before uh, this coronavirus thing. See, you can't make this up. Look at the parallels of what's happening in our world, in our homes right now, and what's happening in this passage of Scripture in the book of Luke. It says, 10 people who have sickness that forces them to live in isolation approach Jesus. And then Luke says, they stood at a distance. Okay, not just six feet away, but far enough so that they had to yell to have Jesus hear them. Now, how many were there? Ten, which just so happens to be the maximum amount of people we're allowed to be around right now. I bet that these ten were running low on hand sanitizer and toilet paper as well. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. You think that COVID-19 is contagious? Uh, leprosy was seen as even worse in the ancient world. And Jesus sees these 10 people, and he tells them to do something. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Why? Because these people were exiled from their community, and uh, they were quarantined from their community, and by showing themselves to the priests, their community was restored. And so they went, and then the Bible says that as they went, they were healed. Notice, Jesus didn't tell them that they'd be healed. He just said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. Sometimes the healing comes as we do what Jesus says. Sometimes the healing's not instant. It's when we follow in obedience, the healing arrives. We don't make a deal with Jesus, get assurance that he's going to give us what we want before we actually follow his instructions. No, we follow his lead in loving God and loving others, and we eventually will realize that that's the best way to live. So they're healed, and they're on their way to show themselves to the priests. And one stops in his tracks, runs back to Jesus, falls on his feet, thanking him for the healing. And guess which one of the ten goes back to thank Jesus? The Samaritan. Interesting that these ten lepers, there was nine Jews, one Samaritan. And yet they're together. It was their isolation that actually brought them together. Now, I'm convinced of this, that if we were quarantined with people that, were, that lived very different than us, okay, who believed very different than us, who thought very different than us, people who we think are the enemies or the bad guys. I'm convinced that if you were forced into isolation with them for several of weeks, for really any amount of time, you'd probably be singing a different tune about them. They'd be, they certainly wouldn't be your enemies. They'd probably be your friends. 
It's easy to pronounce judgment on groups of people until you know their names, until you hear their stories. If they are always those people and you never know their names or stories, I believe that you are limiting what God wants to do in and through you in this world. The Samaritan leper is found among nine Jewish lepers. And it is he, not the nine others, not the nine others of God's people that come back to thank Jesus. And the story is just so scandalous in the first century. To tell a story where the Samaritan is the example to follow, it's simply unheard of. And Jesus does it twice on his way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is resolved for Jerusalem. He stops in villages and towns. He walks along the border of Samaria. And then we stop in Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 35. It says this, As Jesus approached Jericho. You see Jericho on our map. It, it's, it's more south. Now he's, he's closer to Jerusalem. He's roughly 15 miles from Jerusalem. He is no longer in these random uh, country towns and villages. No, he's in a Jerusalem suburb. So the, so the tension is building and the journey is nearing its culmination. He is no longer in tiny towns. So what happens? A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. You know where this is going, right? You know Jesus, isn't, he's not going to ignore the blind beggar. Everyone else ignores him. But innately, we know God doesn't ignore that person. We roll up the window, fiddle with the radio, so that we don't have to look at him. But Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 36, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. That's so Jesus, right? These two healing accounts are very different and yet very similar all at the same time. With the ten lepers, Jesus says, show yourselves, and as they went, they were healed. And with the blind beggar, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It's like that scene in the notebook. What do you want? What do you want? Literally, that's me every time Sarah and I would try and choose to go to a restaurant. What do you want? And how we answer that question helps determine the direction of our lives. And Jesus asked this beggar, what do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. Now, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, tells this story, but gives even some more details. It actually gives a name to this blind beggar. His name is Bartimaeus, means son of honor. And instead of, Lord, I want to see, he says something else. He calls him rabbi. He doesn't call him Lord, he calls him rabbi. And actually in the Greek, it's rabboni, rabboni, means my great one. It's a personal term of endearment. It's a, it's a very personal term. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that was after Mary Magdalene, 
uh, a former prostitute, sees Jesus after the resurrection, she says the same thing. Rabboni, Rabboni, my great one. This blind beggar reaches out for Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David, my great one. It's a term of endearment. It's a personal term. We can have that with Jesus. We can have that intimate relationship with Jesus. Here's this blind beggar blowing away the social norms, calling out to Jesus, and Jesus is present in his life. So he says, my great one, I want to see. Then Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Jesus is giving credit to the blind beggar Bartimaeus. In both cases, the healer asks something of the ones being healed. It's as if Jesus is saying, you've got a role to play in your own healing. See, we struggle with all this time. Lord, fix my marriage. As if you and your spouse will magically wake up and all your problems are going to disappear. No, you have a role to play in your own healing. Work all the things that drive your spouse crazy. Go to counseling. Look in the mirror. It's not... 100% their fault. Work on you. You have a role to play in your healing. Lord, remove this addiction. God's probably not going to supernaturally intervene and remove that person or remove that drug or that action or that desire. You have a role to play in your healing. Get accountability. Remove the temptations. Confess to somebody else. May it be said of us that your faith has healed you. Verse 43, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This time it was immediate. And once he receives his sight, once he is able to gaze upon the sky for the first time, once he is able to look another human being in the eyes, for the first time in his life, he doesn't just feel light, he sees light. And the first thing this blind beggar does is follow Jesus and praise God. We can learn from this blind beggar. We can follow in this blind beggar's footsteps. Isn't it so like Jesus that the two moral exemplars, the two heroes in these encounters on his way to the cross, on these deliberate detours on the way to the cross, are a Samaritan leper and a blind beggar. Two people that are so far down the totem pole in the the eyes of the religious elite. And they're the heroes to Jesus. The forgotten and the losers will always find themselves as heroes in Jesus. That is what the church should be. A place for everyone. You don't have to be lonely at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Several years ago, there was a girl in an orphanage. She was unattractive and kind of had mannerisms that weren't very attractive either. And she was disliked and shunned by other children. She was unliked by most of her teachers. And the head of the institution looked for a reason to send her off to some other place. She made it a little bit more difficult. One afternoon, the opportunity came. She was suspected of writing an unapproved illicit note and passed it to somebody outside the institution. Okay, one of the little girls had just reported, I saw her write a note and she, she hid it on a tree near the stone wall. And so the superintendent hurried to the tree, found the note. He then passed it to his assistant, 
and the note read, to whoever finds this, I love you. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful act that we too should emulate. Samaritan lepers, blind beggars, and unattractive orphans. People were called to love. People were called to be like. We too are on a journey. Could we follow Jesus and be intentional in blessing those that we encounter along the way and perhaps find ourselves healed in the process? Maybe that is how we participate in our own healing, by being a blessing to others. What does that mean for this week? Perhaps it means writing a little note, printing off a bunch of notes in your printer, and it's, it just says, pass it to every person in your neighborhood. Houses down the road. And it just says, hey neighbor, I'm so-and-so. I live at this address. Here's my number. If you need anything in this season, if you need someone to get groceries or emergency supplies or to just talk to, I'm there for you. Here's my address and phone number. What a beautiful way of loving your neighbor in this season. You don't know what that might mean to someone. They may not have anybody calling and checking you up on them. And then they see a note from you. So that's a, I, I want to encourage you guys to think about that. What would it look like for you to be an intentional blessing? And would you find yourself, could you find yourself healed by being a blessing to others? That's my encouragement. Jesus had a long road from Bethsaida all the way down to Jerusalem. And he encountered and loved people along the way. We got a long road ahead of us. We're a couple weeks in. Could you love the people that you may encounter? Could you reach out to people? Even though it might not be convenient? This is our way to love God and love people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that when you ran into people who had a disease that forced them to live in isolation from others, you reached out. You, you crossed a divide. You walked along the border and encountered them. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you heal the sick. And Lord, we think of this blind beggar in Jericho who says, my great one, I want to see. God, give us eyes to see the beauty all around us, to, to experience and to lean into and to live the abundant life that you have called us to. And so God, help us to go and be you to others on our own journeys. It's a long road, but help us to follow you in loving people in the midst of every town, in every village, in every neighborhood, in every apartment complex, in every house we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen.